1: Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: This is a CBC podcast.
0: You're listening to Wiretap with Jonathan Goldstein. On CBC Radio 1, today's episode, Spoiler Alert, in which Dr. Toffler predicts the future, Scott Thompson dreams the future, and Howard Chakowitz forsakes the future.
2: Hello, Howard. Hey, John. Hi. Hey, hey Howard. How, how you doing? Fine. Nice, nice to, nice to hear from you. Nice, nice surprise. I have some good news for you. The wiretap picnic is, uh, it's on. Oh, I'm
0: looking so forward to that fried chicken.
2: And we'll mm. all be getting together, uh, Gregor and Josh. Great. I was just looking at the weather report, and mm. uh, Sunday's calling exactly. for some really beautiful weather. No, no, really no, 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 no weather. Don't
0: Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! You're supposed to say spoiler alert before you say stuff like when that. When you
2: tell the weather.
0: Anything that we you get, at, you get to talk with the future you have to tell someone spoiler alert in this day and age this is common
2: modern etiquette you you, you say spoiler alert if it's a movie or it's something it's not just for
0: movies anymore you don't just say it for movies and books and stuff like that everybody's so preoccupied with what's going to be and i just want to live my life with with what is you know uh-huh. i, I want to be in be in the moment be, be in the present you see how, how excited i was and surprised okay. i was when you phoned because i i, I disabled my my call display so it was a real treat. The phone rings. I don't know who it is. It's you. Hey, John.
2: You knew it was me. Howard, you, you, who Who else calls you?
0: Bill collectors. Wrong numbers. Your mom. Your mom phones Okay,
2: me. all right.
0: John, it's all about the now now. That, uh-huh. That's how it is for me. When I'm in a restaurant, mm-hmm. I just open the menu. I close my eyes. I put my finger down. And whatever lands on, whatever I pointed to, that's not a meeting. Why? So it's a surprise for me when the waitress shows up and she puts the dish down. Magic. Mm-hmm. You know, you know how I always used to read the last page of a comic book? I used to read it first to make sure that nothing terrible happens to the hero,
2: uh-huh, right? Right.
0: I'm no longer, my friend. Why? Now I'm going to take things one step at a time now, like a man, you know? You know when I used to go to the grocery store and I used to buy something, I'm always looking at the expiry date mm-hmm. to make sure it's months. No longer. That's, I don't do that
2: because anymore.
0: Because... I want to be surprised when the food goes bad. When I grab that liter of milk and I throw it back in my throat and it's all spoiled and chunky, well, that's part of my own personal mythology.
2: Food poisoning.
0: The story of food poisoning
2: It's a wonderful epic tale You
0: know how committed I am to this idea How? how? I stopped how? using the future tense when I speak now
2: The, the future verb tense
0: I, I, Only the present tense mm-hmm. I know. I'll know. only use the future tense in an emergency like, how, you, know? you,
2: you you just use the future tense right now Did I? Yeah, you said I'll only use the future tense in an emergency That's, you were using it
0: Okay, I it, think maybe I don't really know what the future tense is uh-huh. But, but I, I do know what the future is and I know that's something that no man can know. And so what's the sense of getting all hung up on it, you know? Mm-hmm. Which is why I, I took all the batteries out of my smoke detectors.
2: Why would you do something? That that seems really stupid.
0: I have keen senses if I'm going to survive this new world, this How brave, would, brave new world. A
2: smoke alarm isn't a prophecy of the future. I mean, that, that's to save your life.
0: I want my, 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 my noggin to save my
2: life. Well, good luck with that.
0: And if not, well, so be it. I lived a good life. Did you? I did. Mm-hmm. Did you? I... i wouldn't even know. You know why? What? You are waiting for someone to tweet you to tell you you had a good life. Not me. No, thank you. I know I had a good life.
2: Okay, well, Howard, I'm, I'm going to get ready for the picnic. I'll, I'll, I'll see you later. Please don't tell me that. Please. In the Book of Laughter and Forgetting, and I hope I'm not spoiling anything for you here. Mylan Kundera describes watching a woman in her 70s getting out of a swimming pool. She climbs out of the pool and waves to a young man sitting in a lifeguard chair. The woman's wave is the gesture of a flirtatious teen because in that moment, she's forgotten how old she is And the point Kundera makes is that we don't walk around thinking, I am 45 or I am 73. Most of our lives, we're no age at all. We're simply ourselves. Although we are beings who exist in time, there is an aspect of us, call it our soul, that exists beyond time. In this eternal present, we are who we always were. Yet still, We're obsessed by the future, and there's a whole industry out there that caters to this obsession, whose sole purpose is to ponder what this future holds for us. And we call the men and women of this brave new industry dreamers. Dr. Benjamin Toffler, Mm -hmm. you've just written a book all about the future called Looking Forward to Yesterday. Yes. And how would you describe the central thesis of your book?
3: Well, the basic uh, point of the book is that, in the future, we're going to look to the past for our um, inspiration. We'll move forward by going backward.
2: And, and, and how do you mean?
3: Well, for example, as the polar ice caps melt due to global warming, uh, water levels will rise there will be a lot more canals built mm-hmm. to control the water, and people will have to get from one side of a canal to the other. And in Holland, in the Middle Ages, pole vaulting was developed as a way to get from one side of a canal to the other. You'd go vaulting to grandma's. Is so,
2: that so? pole vaulting
3: will be one of the big ways of getting around in the future.
2: And, and you could you could also take a boat.
3: Well, it's not very portable, is it? You're going to want something you can take with you. Like a pole.
2: Oh, I okay, I see.
3: There's so many inventions. You know, we're going to go back to in their purer form. I mean, the cell phone, we're not going to be able to punch those tiny little buttons. People are getting fatter all the time. And we'll go back to rotary phones because you'll be able to stick something into it, like perhaps a pencil or a, a chocolate pretzel.
2: Uh-huh, because, I mean, it, it seems to me like people are, are you know, pretty into these touchscreen smartphones with the apps and the, the, the Internet all the time. No, the
3: Internet is the best, a fad. It's, it's a passing fancy. Here's my beef with email. Mm-hmm. Everybody's, oh, it's so convenient. It's so immediate. It is also incredibly insecure. I mean, look at WikiLeaks. With that WikiLeaks, it just taught us you can't use the email. I mean, people track that. What? But it's hard to... Uh, hack into a telegram, isn't it? Uh,
2: Somebody
3: hacked my telegram. You never hear that.
2: Right, no, of course not. Telegrams, they aren't used.
3: Well, they will be because they're secure.
2: Uh-huh. The kids
3: will all be using Morse code now, the way they use texting shortcuts. You know, you'd be like, what's up? Mm-hmm. Uh, on your text, but in Morse code, that would be dot, 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 dash, dot, dash, dot, dot, dot. Dash, extended yeah. dash, okay, dot, okay. Dash, yeah. dash, 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 uh-huh. dot, zop. As soon as the kids get a hold of this stuff, they're gonna—it's gonna explode. Yeah. The newspapers will make a big comeback because paper is—it grows right out of the ground.
2: So paper will be making a comeback because because yeah, it seems sure. as though we're 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 moving towards what they're calling a paperless society.
3: It's ridiculous to imagine we're gonna have a paperless society. You know, first of all, how are you going to uh, wipe your behind? With a Kindle? Or if you have fish and chips, what are you going to wrap them in? Uh, the online version of the Globe and Mail? I don't think so. You'd just be stuck with a big steaming piece of fish in your hand. Uh, that, that that's, that's stupid. It's foolish. Now, with the research of a paper, you're going to be faxing up a storm. Back you're going to-, to be faxing people all the time, and you're going to probably have the fax man. Uh, which is like a mobile fax machine that you carry in your pocket.
2: Like, like a Walkman, you mean? Yeah,
3: but a fax man. I've already patented a number of different portable fax machines uh, that work on a crank or maybe a magnifying glass, which is uh, positioned above them to focus the sun's rays.
2: Okay, so, so solar power will be big in the future because it's so sustainable. The and...
3: thing that's great about the magnifying glass is uh-huh. it's so versatile. You can use it to heat your—boil your soup, for example. Otherwise, you'll be eating raw chicken, and you'll probably die, and uh, we won't need you anymore. It's going to be a process of natural selection. The people who have magnifying glasses or the ability to grind a serviceable lens will survive, and uh, those who can't will naturally be out-selected.
2: I, I have to say, doctor, that this it sounds like a very unlikely scenario to me
3: going to happen. I I don't make these trends, I just report them. No. You know, we're also going to we're going to see a big resurgence in the pneumatic tube.
2: Oh, you mean those uh those those tubes Whoop. that suck through. Whoop.
3: Hey, I'm going to send a message up to Larry in accounting. Whoop.
2: But I mean it's only good if you're in the same building, right?
3: Well, no, we're going to expand the pneumatic tube system. The same way that the world now is covered in fiber optics, it's going to be covered in pneumatic tubes.
2: uh, Underground? No,
3: it's going to be above ground. It's going to form a lattice work above the earth. Uh I mean, you know, you look at a movie like, uh, you know, The Planet of the Apes. Well, it's it's prophetic because in the future we will have hundreds of thousands of apes, specially trained, to do jobs that we don't really enjoy doing. In the future we're going to be having apes living in our walls, and they will be doing things like running the elevator. You know, chimps will climb up and down uh the cables, pulling them up and down, and that's how we will uh how our elevators will function. Er- we'll have escalators er- filled with monkeys, and you will hear them chittering beneath your feet as you uh ascend to the upper level of the mall.
2: Dr. Toffler uh, just out of curiosity, you you are a doctor of
3: are you expecting me to fill this in? Yes. I am a doctor of futurology.
2: And and what university did you graduate from?
3: Pearson College. Com.
2: Oh, it's it, it's an online university.
3: But I, it's an online night school.
2: You can only use it at. You can only log only on. use
3: at, it at night. They really don't have. Um, the facilities to keep it going 24 hours.
2: I see. And it, it is kind of ironic. I mean, what with, you know, your, your view on the Internet.
3: Was it ironic? Shakespeare wrote with a quill? That was what he had. Right. Like, I can't live in the future. I can only predict it.
2: Well, it, it, it certainly sounds like a, like a brave new world.
3: Well, it is incredibly brave. I'm very excited about it.
2: Well, uh... Dr. Toffler, thank you for for taking the time to speak with me.
3: Thank you.
1: Think of your favorite one-hit wonder. Or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have. Or that TV show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon. Now what if we could fix it?
2: I don't think I've ever thrown out a single fortune cookie fortune, ever. I don't go so far as to fold them into my wallet, but I do usually hang on to them in some way, maybe tossing them into a sock drawer or placing them in the pages of a book I'm reading. There's just something about throwing one out that feels like an act of bad faith, because all prophecies should be taken seriously, even if it's a prophecy that comes in a cookie, at the end of a meal of Mugu Gaipan. And I love the idea of possibly rediscovering these predictions of the future, in the future, holding them in my hands and thinking about what once could have been but never was, yet one day might still be, because the future often feels larger and more boundless than the past or the present. Perhaps it needs to be, because it's where we store our hope.
1: I mean, the last 10 years have been honestly the most difficult time of my life. Oh, yeah? It started with a firebombing and it ended with cancer this f-ing decade.
2: Wait, I'm, I'm sorry, Scott. What are you talking about? Oh, you know I had
1: cancer. You knew yeah, all that. Yeah, no,
2: didn't you? I, I do yeah. know that, yeah.
1: I, I feel I'm very healthy now. My doctors say that it's highly unlikely it will come back.
2: I'm really happy to hear that. But what is this about a firebombing?
1: I know, I know. It's funny. I always drop that like it's like, oh no, I prefer Danteen. Um, 11 years ago, I was firebombed by an uh, um, Islamic terrorist group, and it completely changed my life.
2: And, and were you the individual target, or you just had. No, having... my
1: boyfriend. I was collateral damage.
2: W- who was your boyfriend?
1: My boyfriend's name was Joelle Soler, a French filmmaker who makes documentaries. Okay, And um, he um, decided one day that he was going to make a movie about Saddam Hussein. So he told me that he was going to go to Iraq. And I was like, Iraq? Who, who the hell cares about Iraq? I mean, this is before everything, you know, this is 2000. Nothing was going on there. there. So I was like, oh, okay. So he went there on his own, like he snuck into the country. He lied; he said he was a Saddam Hussein supporter, and came back with all this crazy footage. And he started working on his movie. It started playing around um, different festivals. It's called Uncle Saddam, and it's a comedy, like it's a lighthearted look at the at a monstrous family. It, it, I tell you, it turned into hell. We had no idea what we were wading into. So what happened was on um, November the 1st,
2: 2000,
1: I uh, woke up early in the morning and I went to the door, opened the door, and the lawn was all black, like burned. And I was like, what? And then I I looked down and I realized that I was standing in what I thought was a pool of blood. And I was freaked. So I look around and I realize that there's, red paint everywhere like it's dripping off the house like blood and the tops of the palms were burned and then I saw a note on the floor and on the note it said in the name of Allah the merciful and compassionate burn this satanic film or you will be dead and dead was underlined in case the whole thing didn't freak us out enough so we called the police and the police took hours to arrive they laughed at us when we told them what we, who they, we thought it was we said an Islamic fundamentalist group and they actually said what's that because you have to remember this is before the world shifted like no one you don't tell people in, in 2000 you've been targeted by a Islamic fundamentalist group no one believed us nobody and then I had to call the Canadian consulate, I had to get protection. But they kept trying to kill him. And then he went into hiding.
2: Oh, so you guys separated?
1: Yes, he went into hiding, and that was the end of my life. So what I do, when I get really troubled, when something I can't understand, I write. So I decided that I would write a one-man show about terrorism. I decided that I would explore violence and why I was drawn to it and why it was
2: drawn to me. And, and was this a comedy?
1: Yes, it was called The Lowest Show on Earth. Now, you have to remember, people, you know, everyone was like, why would you, who can't, what terrorism? What an odd thing to talk about. So I wrote this show. Mm-hmm. Now, this is in 2000. I wrote a monologue about Buddy Cole.
2: Buddy Cole, your flamboyant character from Kids in the Hall.
1: Yes. Deciding to go to Afghanistan, to a weapons of mass destruction bazaar, to buy anthrax, because he hears that it smells so pretty.
2: This was in 2000? Yes. That's really weird. It's
1: very strange. Yeah, Buddy Cole goes to Afghanistan. Afghanistan. He meets Uday Hussein, and Buddy's disguised as a Yemeni princess, so people think he's a woman. So Uday falls in love with him, kidnaps him, they steal a United Nations helicopter, they fly over the no-fly zone into one of Saddam's secret underground palaces, where they have a meal of roast tiger, and they watch uh, the South Park movie on a giant television screen. And then Uday wants to have sex with Buddy, thinking he's a princess, and then in walks Saddam Hussein. And then the whole end of the pieces, the three of them collapsed onto the pillows in an axis of evil. And Buddy thought to himself, well, at least for the next few minutes, there'll be peace in the Middle East. And I wrote this the year before September 11th. And then I got an off-Broadway run. All, I, 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 You know, I paid for this show. I, I put all my money behind it. I put everything into this show. This was my big break. This was my way out. And uh, I was supposed to open September the 19th, 2001. A comedy show about terrorism.
2: Wow. Yeah.
1: I know. So what happened was, uh, on the 10th, my posters went up all over Manhattan and then on the 11th, it all fell apart. But I didn't know that it was over for me. Like, I did not know that. Like, everyone advised me to pull the plug because it made no sense why I was writing about all these things that were going to come true. But I was convinced that I could still do the show. And I remember wandering around, like, in a daze. And um, it was, a, I guess, maybe September the... 15th, 16th, something like that. And I suddenly realized that I'd seen it all before.
2: What do you mean, seen it before?
1: Well, now you're going to you're going to think I'm crazy. I, I, this is going to sound so crazy, but You have to trust me. This is all true. Okay. There's a part of the story that I didn't tell you about. In 1999, I had this compulsion to go to Peru. I was working on a screenplay about the center of the Earth that became my graphic novel, The Hollow Planet, and I'd been doing research. And I discovered that the Incid believed that life began in a place in, in Peru called Lake Titicaca, this incredible place. It's 11,000 feet above sea level. And it's, the, it's basically the Garden of Eden for the Inca. Their, their creation myth is that man and woman walked out of the lake. And that underneath the lake is an entrance to the caverns that lead to the center of the earth. Right? Okay. So this is just this crazy belief that I've, I just find it fascinating. So I decided that I would go to Lake Titicaca. And I went to Lake Titicaca. Yeah. Now this is 1999 right? Mm-hmm. And um, on my Last night there I had a dream And in my dream My dead brother, Dean Was taking me through lower Manhattan And my brother had committed suicide In 1995 So this is that brother And uh, We were walking along And he pointed in the sky And I looked up And there was a jet coming in we watched the jet and it waggled its wings and then it dove into a skyscraper and exploded and I said to my brother that's my plane I'm supposed to be on that plane so we started driving through lower Manhattan towards the plane crash but as we drove through Manhattan it changed and it became farmland and we were in farmland and all of a sudden we saw another plane had come down and there was um, a plane crashed in a field. And um, it was all burning up. And as we got close to the plane, I realized that everybody around it were people that I knew. And so I said to them, that's my plane. I'm supposed to be on that plane. So I crawled inside the burning wreckage. And uh, inside the plane, everybody was on fire. And um, they were all yelling at me to get out, that it wasn't my plane, I shouldn't be there. I was like, no, no, I'm supposed to be on this plane. And then there was a woman at the front of the plane, and her name was Mrs. White. She was a woman from my childhood. And um, she was, like, in the front of the plane, she was in flames, like a flaming angel. And I went up to her, and she says to me, Scott, remember this, not all tragedies are yours. If you stay, you'll make a terrible angel. And I wake up. And I'm in Lake Titicaca, I'm lying in bed, it's pitch black, and I say out loud my brother's name, and I go, Dean, was that you? And the lamp on the bedside table goes on. And I just start crying, I just weep all night, I just weep, I just I spend, you know, I get up, I start doing everything to try to make that go. Well, maybe a, a, a bug hit the lamp or turned it. I and mean, there's got to be an explanation. I would drop the, I took the lamp, I would drop it, I would throw pieces of paper at it. Nothing would make it go. It just went. I said, Dean, was that you? It went on. The next day, a maid comes in. You know, he's Inca guy. And I say to him, in my broken Spanish, I say to him, Do you believe in visions? And he's like, Yes, of course. People have visions here. So I go to the airline the next morning, and then I uh, fly home. Cut to September the. 15th or whatever, New York City. I'm in Soho and all of a sudden it hits me with like like incredible force that this was the exact spot that I'd been in in the dream where I'd seen the plane hit the tower. And I remember sinking to my knees on the side of the road and I do a lot of crying. I started to cry again and I just cried And I realized that I'd seen it all happen, that I would get through this, but that I had to cancel the show, that it was not my time. This isn't my time, this isn't my plane, this isn't my show, this isn't my vehicle. This is not your tragedy. That's what I took from it. I went, this is not your tragedy, you are a minor player, you are fine, get a grip, you're alive, it's just a show there'll be other shows you just you can't this is an act of God you can't fight can't fight God and so that's why I canceled the show he's still there I know I know what am I supposed to do it's true
0: On Wiretap today, you heard Howard Chakowitz, Sean Cullen, and Scott Thompson, whose Scott Free podcast can be found at NewScotland.com. Wiretap is produced by Jonathan Goldstein with Mira Bertwintonic and Crystal Duhame.
1: For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.